A vote for Joe Biden was supposed to be a vote for a return to normalcy. Well, the man himself did not build confidence for the most part among the American people. A lot of people thought that so long as we got rid of Donald Trump, it would all go back to normal. They were wrong. They thought Trump was creating the problems, creating the tension and creating the culture war when in fact he was not. He was a symptom of this. The other day at the Super Bowl, Joe and Jill Biden put out a pre-recorded message calling for a moment of silence. It was a, it was a call for unity and it was met with loud booing. People don't just dislike Joe Biden. They hate him. And we are seeing pretty serious calls to action from the left in references to bringing domestic terror tactics to the United States because the left also hates Trump's supporters. We are now hearing in response to the story that it turns out Trumpism was the problem the whole time. Once again, using Trump to define a problem that existed well before Donald Trump became president. The anger, the animosity and the hopelessness that many people had that led them to vote for Donald Trump was not created by Trump. It is a problem of the system that still exists today. And there could be a there, there are a lot of reasons for it perhaps social media. There is a fracturing of worldview among the left and the right. And I'm going to tell you the very cliche and obvious thing, as per usual, I'm biased against the left on this one, because I think they, particularly in the mainstream media, are the ones creating all of this tension and exacerbating the problems. Over at The Atlantic, Chris Hayes of MSNBC writes that it's Republicans that are radicalizing. Over at 538, they say the uncivil war or the culture war, it's the Republicans who are the aggressors. Meanwhile, the Republican Party is in shambles. Nebraska GOP wants to censure Ben Sass. Wyoming wants to censure or may have already censured Liz Cheney. People who supported Trump are outraged that Mitch McConnell wouldn't do it. There's no real unity among Republicans and Republicans don't get a whole lot done. They don't really fight for a whole lot. Mitch McConnell got a lot of judges in, but there is nothing comparing what the left is doing to the right. MSNBC, Nicole Wallace suggested drone striking American citizens in, in a conversation. She was acting like the extrajudicial assassination of Americans under the Obama administration was a good thing and that Mitch McConnell should have realized it. There is nothing comparable on the right. Now, you may have right wing personalities who apply a double standard when it comes to them. They'll criticize the left, but not the right. They'll mock Jen Psaki's appearance, which is totally irrelevant. But the right does not have anywhere near the cultural power. And now, as they don't have any cultural or political power, the problem is the mainstream political left. Look, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll look over at those progressives. And many of them, I think, do contribute to the problems voting for Joe Biden establishment crony. But I think many of them were just taken for a ride and duped, thinking that they were going to get $2,000 checks and it was the right thing to do. When, when Joe Biden came out and said, vote for us, you'll get two grand. And Trump said, vote for me, I'll get you two grand. But then the Republicans said, no. Many people were like, I'm voting for two grand. Well, guess what? Joe Biden said, no, you're not getting it. Many of these populist leftists just incorrectly believed that Trump was the ultimate villain. And you're allowed to hate Trump. So maybe that was it. They said, I don't like the guy too bad. All right, well, Trump didn't win. But now you've got mainstream leftist personalities point, uh, claiming that we should use drone strikes on civilians. That was that was never OK. The realignment is real and the tribalism is only getting worse to the point where, you know, it, it used to be this. Maybe it's a long forgotten, hopeful image or memory. 
of a president who didn't win every American's vote, but still received an applause when he arrived at a baseball game or the Super Bowl. Maybe that was just a a happy false memory. Maybe it was never that nice. Maybe there was always booing. I don't know. People seem to hate George W. Bush, but Joe Biden still being booed. And now we are seeing in this article from Chris Hayes, while he does blame Republicans, he makes a very important point. The radicalization of, well, he blames the right. It's actually just continuing. It's not necessarily radicalization. It's hyper polarization. Rural areas are getting redder. Urban areas are getting bluer. And it's just getting worse every single day. So how does this end? end? I honestly don't know. But I do think it is the natural conclusion of two party politics. So we'll get into all that and I'll break this stuff down, pointing out the left's double standard and the right being in shambles. But we'll start with what happened with Joe Biden's moment of silence. Before we do, however, head over to TimCast.com to become a member and check out our members only podcast segments and full episodes. For instance, we have a full hour long episode talking about Netflix claiming there's proof of life after death. Exorcisms are actually on the rise. And we were talking about game, uh, uh, talking about God with Seamus of Freedom Tunes. The reason we set up TimCast.com is because it's very likely that as the culture war escalates, my channel will probably get banned. Facebook has already restricted my page, making it effectively useless. So there's almost no reason to post at all anymore. There will come a time, I believe, when we will reach an issue so uh, just undeniable, and I'll have no choice to bring it up, that YouTube will give us the axe. I mean, take a look at what happened last week. Time magazine put out a story claiming there was a powerful cabal engaged in a conspiracy to fortify the election for the proper outcome by recruiting armies of poll workers. I can only imagine YouTube has me. Uh, I'm, I'm on thin ice with YouTube as it is. We will be doing a show. We do a show, uh, the Timcast IRL podcast live at every day at 8 p.m. So go to Timcast.com, become a member. And don't forget to like, subscribe, share, hit the notification bell. Let's read the story from meaw.com. Was Joe Biden's moment of silence at Super Bowl a flop? Tribute request for healthcare workers garners booze. They say Super Bowl, uh, I don't what is that, Super Bowl 60? No, 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 I'm sorry, 55. It's finally here. I think my Roman numerals are right. But it was not all smiles and celebration for all. President Joe Biden and First Lady Jill Biden made an appearance at the Super Bowl before the big game to send a message to fans while paying tribute to the frontline workers during the COVID-19 pandemic. Their recorded message, which was played on the video board at Raymond James Stadium, had asked fans for a moment of silence to pay tribute for those who lost their lives during the pandemic. But those present there were not kind when responding to the Biden's request, as there were boos and cheers heard during the moment of silence. Now, this is important. I do not believe there is uni- uh, unanimity in the, the feelings towards Joe Biden. This segment is not about everyone just hates Joe Biden. No, it's the split. Now, Joe Biden did receive the boos. That's important. My uh, image, my memory of what the world used to be like may be wrong. But I imagine a president showing up and waving and people, you know, cheering and just clapping and kind of being like, whatever, it's the president, right? Maybe that's just not true. Maybe it's always been this bad. Or maybe things are actually getting worse. Some people really like Biden. Some people really, really don't. They say, quote, that was the loudest moment of silence ever. One, uh, one person tweeted, that didn't sound like a moment of silence. At, uh, moment of silence. That moment of silence lasted zero seconds. One person said, POTUS, let's take a moment of silence. Crowd. Ah, yet another user mocked Joe Biden got booed because nobody voted for him. Wahahaha. Another tweeted. No, no, no. 
But some people did cheer for him. And that's the problem. We are divided. Normalcy is not coming back. And my friends, I'm sorry. I know it's typical of Tim Pool bias. I blame the establishment left. Now, there are many progressives I would blame as well. There are some independent voices that I believe are duplicitous. And I believe there are many on the right who are as well. But as it has always been, the right does not control cultural institutions. The left does. So while Trump may squeak by right now, the left, the establishment left controls everything, the political and cultural institutions. They are no longer the resistance. They're the empire. Case in point, MSNBC host suggests killing American citizens with drone strikes. Is this the unity that Biden promised, writes uh, Paul Saka for TheBlaze.com. Well, let me let me slow down a minute. Maybe she wasn't necessarily saying we should drone bomb American citizens, although it kind of sounds like she did say that. She is at least defending the idea that the Obama administration killed American citizens without charge or trial, something the left would never tolerate. And 10 years ago, eight or so years ago, when we were all complaining about this, many left wing activists, it was the left that was adamantly opposed to the use of drone strikes for killing terrorists. And it was conservatives and Republicans who are like, well, you know, we got to deal with the terror threat. Now everything's inverted. So it's a realignment that Chris Hayes actually brings up. But let me show you what Nicole Wallace actually said. They say the deadline White House host said, my question for you is around incitement. We had a policy, and it was very controversial. It was carried out under the Bush years and under the Obama years of attacking terrorism at its root, of going after and killing. And in the case of Anwar Al-Awlaki, an American, a Yemeni American with a drone strike for the crime of inciting violence, inciting terrorism. That is true. Anwar Al-Awlaki was an American citizen. They said he incited violence against us. So Obama decided to just kill him. And, And to be fair, It was the National Security Council, but Obama signed off on the execution, the extrajudicial assassination of an American citizen. It is horrifying. We have a constitution. Mitch McConnell, here's a quote, quote, Mitch McConnell was in the Senate then. He was in the Senate after 9-11 too. How does Mitch McConnell, who understands the way you root out terrorism is to take it on in the case of Islamic terrorism, kill those who incite it? How does he not vote to convict someone that he said on the floor of the Senate incited an insurrection? What is the implication here? Is she trying to say that we've done way worse and at the very least you could convict Donald Trump? Or is she in some way actually defending it? Take it, take it however you want. I know a lot of people are going to say, see, she was saying we should. And many, many on the left will argue, no, no, she was saying we've done way worse. I don't care. It should be condemned in every aspect and nothing should be equated to it. It's a realignment. But again, while there may be Fox News and Tucker Carlson, Fox News is one channel and their ratings dropped massively after the election. You still have MSNBC, CNN, CBS, NBC, ABC, etc. that are all left wing biased. And this is what you get from the Atlantic. The Republican Party is radicalizing against democracy. The GOP is moderating on policy questions, even if it grows, even as it grows more dangerous on core questions of democracy and the rule of law from Chris Hayes, ah, MSNBC host trying to justify how it is that the Republicans are now in favor of gay marriage, yet they're the ones who are radical. You see what that means? You see what's happening? It's the realignment. Many people he brings up in this article used to be in favor of the Iraq war and now they're against it. Amazing. 
It's a realignment. It's almost like there are many disaffected liberals who united with Republicans and Republicans changed their stance to a more moderate position, partly because of it. And it may be that the left has become extremely radicalized to the point where you can actually even the Atlantic and Chris Hayes will tell you that the GOP is moderating on policy questions. Could it be that you, Chris, that you, Nicole Wallace of MSNBC, that Joe Biden are the radical ones? And I don't mean socialist. I mean authoritarians. Could it be that you're the baddies and the Republicans moderating is a good thing and disaffected traditional liberals and former liberals are now finding themselves more likely to align with Tucker Carlson of all people? Because you guys are the ones saying drone strikes were good. It's remarkable, isn't it? But let me show you just how crazy it really gets. In one section, and, and this I will give Chris Hayes good credit for, he writes, to a degree, or let, let, me, let, me, let me go back a little bit. He says, the average margin of those Democratic wins is narrow, about 2.5%. And the growing gap between the Electoral College tipping point state and the popular vote means Democratic coalition is becoming increasingly inefficient. The Constitution puts a win to the backs of Republicans and makes them more competitive than they would be otherwise. And the political coalitions aren't fixed. The Democratic and Republican parties are in flux. He's correct about this. Let me just simplify. We are a republic, a constitutional republic with democratically elected representatives. This means there can and will be minority rule in many circumstances. And it means we're going to see a lot more of it when you have people forming coalitions. Just the way it is. Many people on the left think that we're a democracy, that we simply have a majority rule. We don't. The saying goes, Democracy is two wolves and a lamb deciding what's for lunch. A republic is a well-armed lamb contesting the vote. It's a famous quote. I believe it's from Benjamin Franklin. But let me go on. He says, to a degree that has little precedent, place, as opposed to region, has become a strong predictor of voting patterns. Democrats are winning fewer and fewer counties while still winning national majorities. And Republicans are winning wipeout margins in the large majority of rural counties across the country while hemorrhaging votes in major metro areas. In 1984, Ronald Reagan won 80 of the 100 counties that had the highest density of college graduates. But in 2020, Joe Biden won 84 of them. That's amazing. Rural voters are moving to the right and suburban voters to the left in nearly equal proportion. What's more remarkable about this density divide is that it reinscribes itself fractally. If you zoom in on precinct level data, you'll find that even in very rural areas, the precincts closest to the center of a town are reliably Democratic, or at the very least reliably less Republican. And I have personally witnessed this. I have driven around in many rural areas from Pennsylvania, Maryland, West Virginia, and Virginia, the D.C. area, and I found something really amazing. You will be in Trump country, and then you get to a small town, and there's Black Lives Matter signs everywhere. And it's so strange. I'm like, how are we in this county that is like deep red, yet when you go into a city, you see all this leftist ideology? Perhaps it has something to do with proximity to one another. Perhaps it has something to do with people in rural areas communicating through the internet, and the internet giving a voice to many conservatives who normally would not network. You see what this means? Back in the day, conservatives would rally around singular voices, talk radio, people like maybe Glenn Beck or Rush Limbaugh. Well, most of the news still came from these major networks. And while people did watch Fox News, people still got their news from similar sources. Conservatives, for the most part, weren't meeting each other and sharing these ideas. 
What that what, what I'm trying to say is perhaps even 10 or 20 years ago, conservatives would still be moving leftward without realizing it, which is why we are seeing a GOP that is moderating on policy. Perhaps that's something that's always happened. The difference now is that Republicans can resist to a certain degree in rural areas where they can communicate online, thus creating stronger bonds to preserve certain ideas or at least create a flow of ideas. In the past, urban centers, even small towns, would control the political ideology because people in rural areas, for the most part, weren't communicating with each other or anyone else for that matter. Now on the political stage, they can. Their voice is being heard, and it's leaving many on the left confused. It is the Democrats, the establishment left and many leftists that are pulling further and further to the left, probably as well because the cities themselves are networking. Now here's what I think is happening. People are moving. I mean, I think COVID caused a massive upset in where people live. So you probably saw a lot of conservatives start moving from suburban and bluer areas into more red areas. I mean, take a look at me, for instance. I'm a center left, you know, uh, kind of Democrat. I, I think it's unfair to say I was ever a strong Democrat, although a lot of conservatives try to claim that. And many liberals try to claim that I was never. I voted for Obama in 2008. Didn't care to vote for anybody after that. I've always been fairly independent. And if anything, much more in favor of third parties. The two-party system is, is rather broken. But here I am finding myself moving to the middle of nowhere in a red area. I still find there are very blue cities in some of these red areas. But I come out here and I see a bunch of Trump voters. And that's just it. Someone like me, a traditional liberal from Chicago, not pro. Well, actually, I'd say I was very progressive when I was younger. Now I'm more in the traditional liberal camp, though I'm not a fan of Democrats. Not like I'm a fan of Republicans either. Finding myself in a red area. So people who are more inclined to be in a red area will move there and people more inclined to be in a blue area will move to blue areas, thus solidifying the regional differences between these factions. And I think it's kind of worrying. There's another major aspect of this, though, and I think it has to do with the two party system. On the Tim Cast IRL podcast earlier this year, I interviewed a, a candidate in uh, North Jersey. This is an area that is deep, deep blue. And I was interviewing a Republican. And I wondered why it was the Republicans would not provide support. Well, it's obvious. It's a D plus 30 district. Why waste money on an area that's deep blue that's never going to vote Republican? But you see, it's a, it's, it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you don't go to these areas and advocate for your ideas, you'll never win. Well, they don't because the cost is too great. So here's what happens. The Democrats start to prioritize pushing out their message in areas they think they can win. They, they leave areas they think they can't win. Republicans do the same. They'll look at polling and say, look, it swings two points to the right, so we shouldn't bother. Or maybe we can actually try and fight for this area. In the long run, Democrats will only be bothered to win areas they think they already can, or Republicans the same, thus creating deep red, deep blue, and nothing in between. That's the danger here. We need Republicans to run in blue areas to generate political competition. But because we have a two-party system, and because the federal government is controlled by the majority party, no one cares to actually communicate. They just keep segregating, and there's no overlap. Now, we still have some conservative Democrats and some slightly left-leaning Republicans. Jeff Van Drew joining the Republican Party, probably a good thing, at least for now, but ultimately a bad thing, I think. He's a moderate Democrat. He was. And then he left and became a Republican. And now he's kind of a, well, he's a moderate Republican, but he's fairly left-leaning as a Republican. We also have in West Virginia, you have Manchin, who's a Democrat, but from West Virginia. So he's kind of more right-leaning. 
These are the remnants of a day, of days long since past. I can't imagine these individuals. Well, I, I'm sorry, Jeff Andrew actually won. I'm not entirely convinced Manchin will stay senator. We'll see how West Virginia votes. But we can see that the the blue dog Democrats, the more moderate and conservative Democrats, the pro 2A Democrats, they're losing a foothold. You still have some Democrats up in the Northeast, like Vermont, New Hampshire, or pro 2A. So that's a different subject matter, to be completely honest. But we are absolutely seeing this divide. Now, for that, I'm not going to completely blame the left. That's just the system in general. But the, the exacerbation of the culture war, in my opinion, absolutely does come from the left. Let me show you this. Molly Jong Fast says Florida is going to kill us all because regular people, not Trump supporters, were out celebrating the Super Bowl. Florida is going to kill us all. Yep. Yep. Mary L. Trump responds, DeSantis needs to be charged with crimes against humanity. How dare these people in a pandemic with this new variant go out and hug and kiss and jump and dance? Surely it's the end of the world. Molly, I would like to ask you about your criticism for when everyone came out to support Joe Biden on November 7th, 2.30 p.m. Molly said might be time for Jared and Ivanka to find a new place to live. And it's everyone out in the streets. Now, look, maybe Molly actually had some criticisms for this people and I didn't see them. I looked through her Twitter. This is just something we see all too often. They have routinely defended Black Lives Matter and those people celebrating Biden. But they've defended that and then heavily criticized regular Americans celebrating the Super Bowl or Trump supporters standing around on the steps of a state capitol saying they're spreading COVID. It's a super spreader event. Okay, well, criticize your own. Why? Why not? That, my friends, is the double standard. You know it exists. Most people know it. Know that that this is the problem. But when you have the editor at large for the Daily Beast and this is their stance, you have a lot of disingenuous people and a lot of victims, a lot of people who just buy the, buy into this and believe this. Now, the reason I single out Molly Jong Fest is that she has eight hundred and forty eight thousand followers. It is ripe for criticism. By all means, I believe so am I. I have a I have a you know similar amount of followers, a bit less, to be honest. But uh, I, I think we need to call out that double standard whenever we can. And then I'll point point out when people say, but Tim, what about the Republicans and the conservatives? They're bad. Oh, spare me. Miles Taylor, the GOP is in shambles. Last week, we convened top conservative voices to discuss a reform movement or launching a new center right party. More to come. There's talk of the Patriot Party. Now there's talk of a new center right party because Trump is far right. And then there's the GOP left in shambles where we have GOP Senator Ben Sass slams Nebraska GOP over censure. Politics isn't about the weird worship of one dude. Then we have in Wyoming, Wyoming GOP censures Rep. Liz Cheney over impeachment vote. Yes, the Republican Party is in shambles. They don't have any cultural power. The only like, look at this. I went on the Joe Rogan podcast. I know it's kind of dumb. It always gets brought up, but it does get brought up because it was a big and important cultural episode. I was on Joe Rogan with Jack Dorsey and Vijaya Gade talking about issues like this. And people accurately pointed out two liberals arguing with two liberals about censorship against conservative is a problem. And I said, that's actually a good point. Joe needed to get a conservative on, I suppose, because it ain't me. But they'll like to claim that I am. No, some of the best representation conservatives are getting are from people like me. I'm not a conservative. But I'm actually looking at what they're saying, listening to what they have to say, and then saying, here's what they said. You don't get that from the media. You don't get a fair approach because the media is left culturally. The editor at editor, editor at large of the Daily Beast clearly biased against regular people supporting the Super Bowl, but clearly defending or at least 
ignoring what the left was doing when Joe Biden won. Jumping up and down, drinking champagne, passing it around. Now, conservative media does have some power. And that's the point I was making earlier. Finally, now, conservatives are building strong lines of communication among, uh, between each other in rural areas. I believe that if this was, you know, if the Internet didn't exist, 10 years on now, conservative areas would still probably be blue because they would only get their news from people in blue areas or from newspapers in blue areas. But now they get their news from a national level conservative voice, be it Ben Shapiro or Crowder or more moderates like me. Their ideas are stronger. They maintain their positions and that creates a solid red base. And then the blue areas get bluer, not because they're getting not not because of ideology, but because they always were moving to the left. You see, you see the issue here. And take a look at this from 538. In America's uncivil war, Republicans are the aggressors. If you wanted to be fair, you'd at least say that there is a serious tribalism problem between the left and the right. But for a year, for years, we've had Antifa on the left going around and attacking people. 538 has the ner- nerve to ar- write an article like this. Well, it's because our media institutions are blind. They don't know what's going on. They don't care to know what's going on. And they're, and they're biased. That's it. They'll defend or ignore Biden supporters dancing in the street and then criticize regular Americans. P- uh, Perry Bacon Jr. for 538 says, in his inaugural address, President Biden described America as in the midst of an uncivil war that pits red against blue, rural versus urban, conservative versus liberal. His invocation of a civil war and the American Civil War was provocative. It was also accurate. There is no formal definition of an uncivil war, but America is increasingly split between members of two political parties that hate each other. That's true. In the same speech, Biden warned of the dangers of a rise in political extremism, white supremacy and domestic terrorism. This, too, was accurate. Biden was delivering his address exactly two weeks after a group of Trump supporters, uh, supporters of uh, Trump riled up by a false claim of voter fraud, stormed the Capitol. And that was stupid. But here's the problem. I listened to Ben Shapiro. You know, I, I heard one of his segments and he says it was dumb. It was wrong. They shouldn't have done it. And I'm like, that is the leading conservative voice for you. One of them, at least telling all of the people how wrong it was to storm the Capitol. Oh, Ben. Oh, he's right. Right. The reason I say, oh, Ben, is because, of course, J- uh, Ben Shapiro is going to come out and criticize that because it was wrong to do. And I have no problem saying it. Other conservatives have no problem saying it. And I'm not saying I'm conservative. I'm saying in a moderate position, of course, I'll condemn it. Of course, many people on the right will condemn it. Where was the left condemning the riots from Black Lives Matter? They were defending it, saying you need to understand their anger and protests are meant to make people uncomfortable. And Kamala Harris raised money for them. Don't you see the problem? It's not the Republicans who are the aggressors. The, the, the most prominent voices on the right, people like Ben Shapiro, for instance, are the ones saying it was dumb. And they shouldn't have done it. On the left, they defend Antifa and Black Lives Matter. I'm sorry. When a group of middle aged Trump supporters go wave little American flags in Berkeley and Antifa shows up and throws explosives at them, as I personally witnessed, the aggressors weren't the Trump supporters. Now, is there a problem of white supremacy and all that stuff? Yeah, of course. Is it the worst problem in this country? Personally, I don't think so. I think the biggest problem in our country is tribalism and the explosion of this extremist rhetoric that's that's starting to occur. And it's not coming from the right. Regular Americans are not the the people who stormed the Capitol. There was a few hundred, several hundred who broke in. There were hundreds of thousands who were in D.C. who left peacefully and never set foot on the Capitol. 
Thousands did. Many people will be arrested. But what is that? A few percent of the overall group that actually showed up? And what about the 75 million? Oh, 800 of the 75 out of the 75 million who voted for Trump actually went to the Capitol. You see the problem. Meanwhile, you want to talk about extremist rhetoric? Let's talk about Nicole Wallace talking about drone strikes and how that's how you take on terror while equating it with American citizens. I'm sorry, that's the extremist rhetoric. Now, I've seen some nasty rhetoric from people on the right yelling about how it's 7076 and how they got to take action and, and things like that. Of course it exists. My friends, it's not like there aren't bad people on the right. There are, but the right isn't unified right now. They don't control cultural institutions. They aren't dictating content. They aren't going on the most prominent shows and advocating for this stuff. Tucker Carlson, at the very least, is center right, and they call him far right. And if it's, it's funny because you look at what Tucker Carlson believes, and he's fairly moderate, calling out endless wars. Even Chris Hayes brings it up in his article when he mentions Tucker Carlson. He says, by 2020, Tucker Carlson, who had vocally supported the Iraq war and browbeat liberal opponents for their opposition, was railing against warmongers and endless wars. In fact, ending endless wars became kind of a right wing rallying cry. Could it be that the Republican Party is saying, you know what? Maybe we were wrong. That right wing individuals and conservatives were like, we were definitely wrong about that. And then traditional liberals of principle are saying, thank you for agreeing on the right thing. And the left has become the party of warmongers and moral authoritarians. I think that's the case. And ultimately, I think that's why you see a mixed reaction to Joe Biden. This country is split. It's getting worse. I think the fissure can't be mended at this point. You know, for a long time, I said this country is being split and something needs to be done to bring people back together. I think unity is impossible right now, especially because the most prominent voices in mainstream media are saying no to it. So it just won't happen. So what happens next? Well, I've long talked about the possibility of civil war. Now, 538 is just saying it straight up. His invocation of civil war in the American Civil War was provocative. It was accurate. What does that mean? Please, leftists, grifters, The people who like to pull my clips out of context and then claim I was ever, you know, asserting there was going to be a 50 state landslide when I was giving hypotheticals of what could cause one. Why don't you take these old clips of me saying about talking about civil war and then push the insane lie again that I was saying it's coming. The end is nigh. It's happening. My point was either we're facing an information war, a fifth generational civil war or what we're seeing will lead us to one. Was I wrong? Maybe. Absolutely, maybe. I don't know what's going to happen. I just think this is the track we're on. But what happens when even 538, the famed political forecaster, is now saying it's accurate for Joe Biden to invoke civil war? I think it's scary. And I think it's a sign of what's to come. As more and more people start to see the signs and then say, I think so too, you know, people are going to get riled up. Certainly like it to not be the case. And maybe Michael Malice and many others are right about a peaceful divorce. I guess it's part of the conversation that needs to be had. Well, well, we'll we'll keep talking about this stuff. So make sure you check out Timcast IRL, youtube.com slash Timcast IRL. The next segment will be the live show tonight at 8 p.m. We're going to be discussing uh, international conflict and stuff like that and crazy new technologies. And we're going to try and make things more interesting and entertaining and, le- entertaining and less negative and less conflicted as we see here. So again, youtube.com slash Timcast IRL. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe. Thanks for hanging out. You can become a member at TimCast.com, and I will see you all tonight at 8 p.m. 
Tom Brady has won his seventh Super Bowl in his first year with the Buccaneers at age 43. Really? That is a tremendous feat. I'm seeing a lot of people say that's 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 amazing at 43. He's competing with guys in their 20s and he just won his seventh Super Bowl. It's it's truly, truly outstanding. I'm not a big Super Bowl guy. I'm not a big football guy, but uh, I can recognize raw talent, passion and drive when I see it. But for some reason, we are seeing in mainstream in the mainstream political space, namely the the Twitterati, the journalists, the former resistance types, which are now, I guess, that empire type. What do you what do you call the people who are in control now, who are trying to suppress the rebellion? Whatever. We're seeing them go after Tom Brady, and we're seeing them prop up Colin Kaepernick, a man who was never that great of a quarterback and who isn't playing and didn't win. They're literally trending. Colin Kaepernick. Twitter is really, really awful. It's just such a, it's an awful negative space. And I just don't understand why we tolerate this hive of scum and villainy and everybody involved. You know, look, I'm not innocent in that in that regard. I go on Twitter. I tweet my stuff, but I try to do better. Now, look, during the Super Bowl, an ad was run for Fiverr. Fiverr is this website. You, 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 you know what Fiverr is probably. You go there and you can hire people to do jobs. And it starts outside of the Four Seasons Total Landscaping, which is the place where Rudy Giuliani had that press conference. Someone's adding in a sign. It says, and press venue, clearly mocking Rudy Giuliani and many of Trump's supporters indirectly who wanted to hear what Giuliani had to say in reference to, you know, voter fraud and, and, and that kind of thing. She, this, this lady then drives inside the building and it's this great underground complex of Fiverr. And they make another joke about it not being a hotel. And I had to wonder to myself, why is it that mainstream advertising is almost always either it leaning left or pro left? And I'll tell you why. It's because the squeaky wheel gets the grease. It's because right now all of these prominent Democrats are screaming not even Democrats like blue check Twitterati types about Colin Kaepernick and white privilege saying Tom Brady only won because of his white privilege. The dude's 43 is working really hard. And they're saying Colin Kaepernick, you know, he was he was rejected and blacklisted for expressing himself. But Tom Brady's allowed to support Trump. It's unfair. And Tom Brady didn't make a political statement. He didn't go out there and cause some kind of hubbub. Now, to be fair, I think it's entirely dumb what happened to Colin Kaepernick, too. If he wants to kneel, so what? He made a big PR stunt. It worked out really, really well for him. Congratulations. He made a ton of money. And he's got a bigger career now as an activist than he did as a moderate or average quarterback. So I get it. But I, I just don't understand why it is that all these ads, always, they come out, right? So we have one ad from Jeep that aired the other day. And it's calling for unity, the middle. We have to come back. And I agree. We do. And Trump supporters are mad saying, you know, why weren't you calling for unity when the Democrats were slinging mud, lying about Trump and Black Lives Matter was rioting? And it's a good question. And it's because let me let me issue a correction on Stephen Colbert's famous statement that reality has a left wing bias. Well, actually, <laughs> maybe a better way to put it is mainstream culture has a left-wing bias. There is a left-wing bias in the media that's being presented, in the digital advertising. It's confirming the worldviews of a certain group of people. But I'll tell you this, are Trump supporters going to complain about Fiverr? They are. Are they going to do anything? No. Are they going to boycott? Not really. And if they did, would it matter? Probably not. Why? Trump supporters are not collectivists. Conservatives are not collectivists. And most, uh, you know what, man, I got to be honest, 
I wonder if the issue is, you know, on the left, you have people who will scream at the top of their lungs and then other people see it and say, "Ooh, I'm going to fit in, too. And they'll start screaming at the top of their lungs, whereas conservatives are like, I see no good reason to scream. I'm going to mind my own business. The divide may actually be among those who want to fit in and those who want to be left alone. And so long as those who want to be left alone don't care and will keep shopping at the Walmarts, keep using the Fivers, keep going to these companies that would mock and belittle them, then it's just going to keep happening. That's it. Now, we heard uh, that there's going to be, you know, uh, there's some boycotts happening from Trump supporters, Bank of America uh, in particular, because they were giving away people's private information to the feds in relation to what happened in D.C. on the 6th. The reason that story was interesting is because some of the people who had their information spied on and given to the feds had nothing to do with anything. Basically, if you were in D.C. and used a credit card or bought a hotel, Bank of America was giving your financials to the feds. Anyway, I digress. There are some boycotts, okay? But ultimately, it always comes down to the same thing. Let me let me show you some of the silliness first, and then we'll talk about what's going on politically. Jack Posobiec said, I just heard staffers were actually crying in the White House tonight because Brady won. This uh, Twitter user says, I don't understand. I don't follow football all that closely. What did Tom Brady do? He's a Trump guy. I kid you not. <laughs> that's, that's it. From USA Today, Tom Brady has gotten an undeserved past for his past support of Donald Trump. Why should I care? Look, I'll be honest. I had people uh, tweeting at me and they're like, I didn't see you defend Colin Kaepernick when he took a knee. And I'm like, I, you know, because you don't watch my videos. I absolutely defended Colin Kaepernick and I criticized him heavily at the same time. I defend his right to kneel in protest. I don't care. If he gets out there and he kneels, I go, yeah, I knew I knew a bunch of kids who wouldn't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance when I went to school and I didn't stand for it a couple times. Whatever. Maybe maybe conservatives really don't like that. Maybe many people were offended by, by what Colin Kaepernick did. And it's a it's a really interesting shift in the in the language, in the culture in the last few years. Think about this. I didn't care that Colin, Colin Kaepernick took a knee, but there was such a strange reaction. First, we saw tons of Trump supporters burning Nike gear and boycotting that actually worked. You see, Kaepernick was essentially cast out because he was. He was a threat to the business of many of these teams. First of all, he wasn't that good of a quarterback. He wasn't bad. My understanding is that he was fairly average. And then he did some like trials or whatever, you know, scout. He was scouted recently. And then they said, he's just not that good. You know, why do we want to use the guy? The left now acts like it's some political slight, like they've been, you know, hurt forever. But what ends up happening is a recoil in the other direction. So there have been periods where conservatives have gotten their way. Don't get me wrong. Kaepernick was, was basically pushed out. But now you have... You know, many of these uh, sporting events, they want to open up with the Black National Anthem. They're uh, essentially all kneeling now. It's been a dramatic shift in the last few years. The thing with Kaepernick and, and, and the ouster, that's what happens when, you know what? It's not even conservatives. I think that's the issue. It was consumers. Conservatives were definitely in on burning, you know, Nike gear and, and, and throwing it in the trash and stuff like that. But it was mostly just consumers and many of whom were pro-American. And they were like, I don't want this gear. And these companies were like, we're going to lose money. Something happened. And don't ask me what. I think it was partly media campaign, many on the left. And now we're seeing a dramatic shift. Now in the past year, you've seen everybody taking a knee. Everybody. You, now it's like there's that one photo of the, I think it was women's soccer team. And there's one woman standing with her hand on her heart for the, for the national anthem. And all the other women are taking a knee. And that became like 
a sign of, uh, 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 you know, standing up against the woke mob and defending yourself. Look, Colin Kaepernick kicked it off. He lost initially. But here's the thing. This shift is to the left. It's always to the left. And that's the point I was making. We have always stood for the national anthem. That's been the norm here. It's been the tradition. Colin Kaepernick took a knee and that was, you know, the damn cracking. Now, he did basically get, you know, kicked out for, you know, essentially bad PR. And like I said, not the greatest quarterback in the world. But that led to a tidal wave of massive change throughout sports culture. Interestingly, we've also seen ratings drop precipitously among many of these sporting uh, events because people, to be honest, don't want the politics. But too many people, uh, too many people are just sitting by. They don't speak up. So let me show you this. I don't care if Tom Brady supports Trump. He's a 43-year-old dude. He won. And now we have, uh, look at this. Colin Kaepernick is trending on Twitter. Now, to be fair, it's not entirely because of the left. Conservatives are, you know, derisively joining in, you know, making fun of the left. The first tweet that pops up for the top tweets is Matt Walsh saying, with this win tonight, Tom Brady solidifies his status as the second best quarterback of all time behind Colin Kaepernick. Mariah Carey says, happy Colin Kaepernick Appreciation Day with 60,000 retweets. Why? You see, the Super Bowl isn't about football, my friends. It is just a time that people turn their TVs on and all talk about the same thing. That's it. So if you're a sports fan and you like the Super Bowl, so what? That's not why people are tuning in. They're tuning in for the advertisements and to talk to each other. And so long as we have this creepy left monoculture, they're going to praise a man who literally did not play in the Super Bowl. Welcome to Modern Culture 2021. Rep Pramila Jayapal says, don't forget that the NFL has systematically villainized Colin Kaepernick because he knelt to protest racial injustice, police brutality, and anti-blackness. I don't know about that last part, but I can tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm pro Colin Kaepernick kneeling. I really uh, don't care. And I think if people want to protest and make a statement, by all means, please do. I, I don't like the idea that like there has to be conformity. You know what I mean? Like we all stand for the national anthem. I personally do. Uh, I, I think this country is fantastic. And I think we've got problems to work out. And I like the idea of dissenting voices because there needs to be some kind of debate, right? It's almost like there's no real conversation anymore. It's just the left has a, it, it's, it's a, it, our cultural institutions are dominated by the left. So there's no discussion over what we should or shouldn't do. It's just tribal, you know, tribalism, you're bad, we're good, and thus we're going to do things. So, so here's my point. Everybody came after Colin Kaepernick and I'm like, why? He's so he's dissenting. Good for him. Let's, uh, hey, you, you kneeled. What was that all about? Hey, man, have a good game. How about that? Appreciate it. Instead, it became this war and a war ultimately that the right lost, resulting now in everybody kneeling. Now nobody stands for the national anthem. So, I, I mean, I suppose you can be mad at Colin Kaepernick for that in that regard. And I don't know what else to say. If, if, you know, if you want to be a dissenting voice and stand for the national anthem and do all that stuff, then by all means. But uh, maybe the, the real issue is you need to do what you did last time. Stop watching, I guess. We'll see how the ratings turn out. Jamal Hill says, in that Inspire Change commercial, the NFL forgot to show the part where they blackballed Colin Kaepernick, have only three black NFL head coaches and no majority black ownership. I saw that. I saw that, that, that tweet. And I also thought something really interesting. What about how many Asian uh, quarterbacks are there? Uh, how many Asian head coaches? 
how many, uh, I don't know, Middle Eastern head coaches, how many uh, South American, how many indigenous? Why is why is the you know, look, I'm not disparaging Jamel Hill and her opinion on, you know, whether there should be black coaches or not. I'm pointing out that it really just is people advocating for themselves, isn't it? When the people say they're for diversity, what they're really saying is for me, you know, or their ideology. And so often you'll see, and it's very obvious, people advocate for themselves for obvious reasons. You know, it's it turns out it's Asians who are suing universities and schools for keeping Asians out. Surprise, surprise. They're being negatively impacted. So they're upset about it. Jamel Hill thinks there should be more uh, black NFL head coaches and more uh, majority black ownership. Well, I think she's actually right about black ownership if we look at statistics. But ultimately, I think it's just an issue of people, you know, choosing to do things and, and reaching these certain points. How many teams are there in the NFL? There's like 32, right? So it doesn't mean there's like 10%, you know, black head coaches. I wonder about any other race. And look, again, not to disparage Jamel Hill, just to point out, it's all about people advocating for themselves and their own power. Here we go. Robert Reich, or Reich, I haven't heard his name. On Super Bowl Sunday, it's a good time to salute Kaepernick for his leadership, courage, and sacrifice. I mean, I guess. But he didn't play in the Super Bowl, dude. All right, check this out. Over on Reddit, I saw this post. Uh, it went up 11 hours ago, but there's some interesting comments. They say, Tom Brady wins his seventh Super Bowl in his first year with the Buccaneers at age 43. And uh, there are some comments that are just, you know, whatever. He's going to start having coaches younger than him. That's crazy. They say that not many Gen Xers still playing pro sports. He was in the league at the same time as Emmett Smith, LOL. Wow. Then they say that this next comment, someone winning a major competition in such a physically demanding sport at the age of 43 is nuts. It's a struggle for many of us just to stay healthy at that age, let alone be competing with people in their 20s at a professional level. This guy says, I tweak my back getting a LaCroix out of my mini fridge. I'm a year older than Tom. So he has that to look forward to next year. I don't think so. I think Tom Brady is very fit and and he works really hard and he won again because hard work, dedication, passion, and you can be the best of the best of the best, man. You know why they don't like Tom Brady? It doesn't have a lot to do. Well, it does have a bit to do with Donald Trump. Let's be honest. But I also think it has a lot to do with the fact that he works hard and he defies the odds. That's it, isn't it? I don't know a whole lot about Tom Brady. I just know that he's 43 and he just won the Super Bowl his first year with the Buccaneers. That to me is impressive. Look, I'm a skateboarder. I skateboard. That's, that's about it. You, you're probably, uh, let's do this. I'll give you, I'll give you a name you're probably familiar with. Tony Hawk. All right. Tony Hawk, I think is 52. Maybe he's a little, maybe he's older than maybe he's 53 or maybe he's older. I don't know. He still skates. And so he's on the half pipe going up, you know, he's 25, 30 feet in the air sometimes, and he comes back down. Yeah, I think maybe like 30 feet in the air sometimes. Comes back down. He's very famous for landing a 900 degree rotation back in, I think it was 1999, maybe 2000. And that he was the first to ever do it. And it's a seriously difficult move. At 50 years old, he landed another one. He did a special video where he said at 50 years old, it was the last 900 he would ever pull off. And it's one of the most difficult moves in skateboarding today in like a standard half pipe. That's crazy to me. I look at that and I'm like, wow, wow, man. Let me let you, I'll let, let you, guys, you guys in on a, on a not so secret. When you're a pro in any sport, I mean, your, your peak ability is like 20 to 24, if that. 
a lot of the best skateboarders in the world are like 19. And then once they hit their mid 20s, they kind of level out. Once they get to their 30s, they start to go downhill a little bit. And then by the time they're in their mid 30s, they're like, they're pretty good. You know, they got the skills, but they're never going to compete with them young bucks. To see somebody win the Super Bowl at 43 is crazy. Because even in skateboarding, you do not see people that old doing, uh, like winning major competitions like this. This defies the odds. So the only explanation now is white privilege or, you know, or not even necessarily an excuse, but they don't like him. They have to criticize him. They have to go after him because he embodies the counter argument to privilege. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter, you know, to a certain degree, right? I'll say this. Let me, let me, let me simplify. If you work hard, you can succeed. It doesn't mean you will. But there is nothing about Tom Brady being a Trump supporter or being a white man that guaranteed him this victory. Now, here's what the left will tell you. They'll tell you things like, oh, but that means he had better access to certain sport, you know, sporting uh, institutions, to training. He had better food and all that stuff. But that is a class argument. You see how they do this? How they try and take race and make it class. And then they say you can't deny the class elements of, you know, racial racial justice or, or the racial elements of class war. And it's like, you're right. So you're saying the solution is class based? Because I don't see how race-based solutions would change anything. You need someone who's going to work hard, and you need them to have the opportunity. And so that's why I point out the Jamel Hill tweet where she's talking about black head coaches. And I'm like, that's cool. No, you know, legit. Express yourself, voice your opinions and what you're concerned with. And then I'll also add to the mix. Shouldn't we just have general diversity, a bunch of different people of a bunch of different backgrounds? Here's another issue. What if major, uh, you know, the, the major football leagues, is it major league football? I don't know. What if, uh, what if that's just not culturally in the cards for many people? And what I mean by that is, what if there are other sports that are more uh, culturally relevant to certain communities? And I'm not even saying based on race, but typically there's an overlap with race. I mean, you can take, I'd be curious to look at the racial makeups of the, of the NHL, of the NBA, the owners of the NBA and Major League Baseball, what are the primary demographics who watch these sports? And maybe that has something to do with it. If that's the case, then all we really need to do is say, you want to play football? I will tell you, I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing. I-, I read this quote from a football player who said he wished he played baseball because football is brutal. People get, you know, brain injuries, they get concussions. And then when they get older, it just gets worse. And then, you know, people playing baseball, they play well into their 40s, my understanding, because, you know, you stand, you hit the ball and you run. And so it's, it's a game where you can you naturally play. Interestingly, with football, there are a lot of people who look to be very out of shape, but maybe it's more of a, a trying to gain, you know, mass thing, right? So you got people who are fairly muscular, but then also pretty fat. And those are like, what, what is that called? Linebacker? I'm not a football guy, mind you. Here, listen, this, is, this has been a tremendous defense of Tom Brady because uh, admittedly, as someone who skates, look, I'm, 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 I'm about to be 35 in one month. I'll be 35. And I skate. And I, I'll tell you this, you know, to be honest, at 35, I haven't really noticed any difference in how I feel skating from when I was a teenager. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. May I, maybe I've never, you know, thrown my, well, no, that's not true. I, I, I try to, I, I play it safer. You know, I don't want to be jumping off buildings like I used to. I legit used to jump off of like, I legit 
jumped off a building once. Well, yeah, legit. I'll lead, I'll lead off a building. There's this huge gap. And I did a bunch of crazy stuff, jumping downstairs and, 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 and railings. You know, we, we call them handrails. Uh, not, not, not the biggest, but I would skate much bigger things. Now I'm older. I run a company. I've, you know, people work for me and I want to be more responsible, but I haven't really noticed a big difference. But I've definitely noticed a difference in watching skate videos from some of the pros I used to be like a big fan of and to see how they've kind of chilled out and they can no longer do the crazier things they, they, they used to do. Still, they're all fairly good, to be completely honest. But watching these kids who are like 19 and 20 do things I never thought possible, I'm just like, wow, you know, it's also a, a progression thing. Like people are just getting better. But I'm also looking at some of these pros that used to do some of the craziest moves ever now in their 30s. And I'm like, that's cool. Like, that's a cool trick. But man, look at this video from 10 years ago. This guy was crazy. And that's it. We age. We get old. So I'm impressed by Tom Brady, even as somebody who doesn't recognize football. And I'll tell you this, the political angle of it is we got this ad, this thing from, from the Daily Mail about, you know, Super Bowl ads. They mock Rudy Giuliani's press conference. And the calls for unity actually have Trump supporters I don't even know if Trump support is the right way to put it, but not necessarily all conservatives, but, you know, a decent amount of right wing populists are kind of, I don't think offended is the right word, challenged, as it were. Definitely a lot of them are offended, like, you know, they are, but many of them are challenged saying, oh, you're going to come to me. Tell me now you want me to unify with you. Never going to happen. It's more of a challenge, as it were. Granted, a lot of people are offended. Don't get me wrong. A lot of Trump supporters are complaining on the Internet about how they're mad about these commercials. I would say that the the Four Seasons total landscaping thing is meant to make a dig at Trump's supporters. And I think it's an attempt to marginalize the weaker of, of Trump's former base or his current base, to be completely honest, those who would still support him in, in a potential 2024 run. I don't think it's that big a deal. And I personally don't care. And then I realized that's probably the problem. You know what I mean? Because I voted for Trump. Uh... I think the guy's got issues, don't get me wrong, but I definitely think he's better than Joe Biden for a lot of other reasons. The issue is these these ads will never mock Colin Kaepernick, even when he got roasted by people and they were burning their Nike gear. They, the media didn't come out and say, Colin Kaepernick, what a moron. <laughs> never happened. Now they're coming out and they're mocking Giuliani and the supporters who were there to see Giuliani speak to make them feel bad. I think there will be a lot of weaker populist right wingers who are going to be like, I, I, I don't I don't like Trump. I, I thought it was stupid, too, because they see it on TV. But I wonder. With Trump supporters able to create communities where they can surround themselves with like minded individuals and from that from that feel like they have a social safety net and social support, they will start to stand up for themselves more often, feeling like they are still part of something. The attempt from mainstream culture is making money for the most part. These big brands, they want to make money. But culturally, many of these resistance types use this and use these ads and push this narrative to deride and scare people who don't want to be the other. But from this, with the Internet, we're not seeing a left and right based on politics. We're starting to see the emergence of tribes based on I'm just so desperate to fit in and people saying, screw you, I'll do what I want. And the screw you, I'll do what I want. People will mock and they'll be offensive and they'll deride. And the please, please, I just want to fit in. People will say whatever the television tells them to say. So I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the Super Bowl happened. It was a big news. So, so there you go. Congratulations, Tom Brady. Legit. Wow. 43 years old. It's impressive. And everybody else should shut up. And I'm just, you know, man, I'm, I'm sick of the, the disunity. And I think my final thought on this is look, look what happened with Colin Kaepernick when people actually, you know, came out and boycotted, you know, it, it worked. 
I think that it needs to be it needs to be more tactful and better coordinated. In the end, Kaepernick ended up winning out with a storied career in social justice activism and making millions of dollars. And now everybody's kneeling. So in the end, he ultimately won. But that's because like the left machine is organized and the right isn't. They don't want the right organized. They want them in disarray. We'll see how things play out. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. It might seem like a shocking story. A man made an offensive tweet about Sir Tom Moore, and he's been arrested. I mean, that's the gist of the story. But it's not the first time we've heard this. It's not the second time we've heard this. It's not the third time we've heard this. No, we hear this all the time. I mean, this is in the UK, and someone has been arrested for... Naughty words. In the U.S., we have something different. We have the outsourcing of life destruction by journalists who will smear you, who will take things out of context, and grifters who make money doing it. And you know the challenge I face in this segment is, oh, I can tell you what happened. And I will. There's some updates. We have an article from Glenn Greenwald talking about these journalists who built careers just being tattletales. And then we have stories like this, which probably will shock many of you. And I think that's why it's important we talk about it. But for me, it's like someone slowly putting a drill to my temple and then just having it on the lowest power setting, slowly drill in. I don't know how much I can keep talking about the same thing and proposing that people speak up because it just keeps happening. Maybe the solution needs to be people just don't spend money with anyone who advertises on any of these platforms. But I'm not convinced that's actually going to change anything either. Most people, I think, don't care. So when we see these, you know, these private companies fund journalists who seek to destroy people's lives, then, I mean, people will still shop with them and there will, there will be no ne- net negative impact from any of these companies. In the UK, however, What do you do when you have a society that wants people to go to jail for being mean? Now, I'll tell you this. I hate mean people on Twitter. I hate Twitter. Twitter is such a disgusting platform. And it's because of Twitter that these these journalists in the U.S., the tattletale journalists, even have a platform. Because who's going to click on the 800th look at what this naughty person said article? But on Twitter, it quickly gets retweets. Then they put, you know, put up their link to their Patreon or their PayPal me or whatever, and they make money doing it. In the UK, well, you just live in a country that wants people to be in prison. Now, this is the most, this story is, is substantially more important. And I tell you the story about the offensive tweet because we need to, at least in the US, make sure we don't get to this point, but I fear we may be getting close to it. There have been numerous stories about people in the US who have been arrested for posting rap lyrics because there are rap lyrics that are offensive and can border on the criminal. So it's happened. And then you take a look at just general, uh, the, 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 what's the best way to put it? Special provisions granted to those in power. You know, if I make comments about certain adult activities, even in a, in a, in a news or academic sense, well, YouTube will say, we're not going to ban you for it, but we will restrict and demonetize your content. Meanwhile, WAP is a trending song on YouTube and the video is totally allowed. You see the double standard. I don't want to end up like the UK, my friends, which is why I think we should talk about this story from The Sun. They say a Glasgow man, Glasgow man has been charged with allegedly sending an offensive tweet after Sir Tom Moore's death. The man, 35, was arrested by cops in connection with the vile slur against the war hero on social media. Now, I'll say this. 
uh, Sir Tom Moore died after his battle with COVID. It's sad. Dude was uh, was was really old. Seems like a legit dude. And he's a war hero. I wonder if he fought those wars so that people would not have the right to speak their opinions. I really don't think so. They say Captain Tom passed away on Tuesday, February 2nd, after a battle with COVID. The second uh, World War veteran raised more than $33 million for NHS charities together by walking 100 laps of his garden before his 100th birthday. He received a knighthood from the Queen in her, in, in her first face-to-face engagement since lockdown in 2020 for his heroic efforts. National hero Captain Tom's death united the UK in mourning with a clap for Tom arranged to honor his incredible charity work and the pandemic. But a Twitter post mocking his death was probed by Scott's cops after being reported last week. The man arrested will appear at Lanark Sheriff Court on Wednesday, February 17th. A police Scotland spokesperson said on Friday, the 5th of February 2021, we received a report of an offensive tweet about Sir Captain Tom Moore, who died on Tuesday to February. A 35-year-old man has subsequently been arrested and charged in connection with communication offenses and is due to appear at Lanark Sheriff Court on Wednesday, the 17th of February. Captain Tom's heartbroken family confirmed he had tragically passed away in a touching statement. You get the point. I don't understand how people in the UK tolerate that behavior. I don't understand how it's just been years and this is only getting worse. And I'm not entirely convinced I know exactly what to do. But I can tell you it is quite demoralizing to be sitting here reading the news and constantly hearing the same things over and over again. Nothing changes. It only gets worse. So what do we do? Glenn Greenwald writes this. The journalistic tattletale and censorship industry suffers well de- several well-deserved blows. The New York Times' Taylor Lorenz falsely accuses a tech investor of using a slur after spending months trying to infiltrate and monitor a new app that allows free conversation. Well, I'll put it this way. I don't think Taylor Lorenz is all that bad. And I, I was kind of bummed to see that, uh, you know, Glenn Greenwald, he's criticizing her. And I think it's fair to criticize her. But it's just everybody's so, I don't know what's the right word, I guess, harsh. There are a lot of really bad journalists. I think Taylor uh, Lorenz has done mostly fine work. I, I say fine because I'm not going to pretend like, you know, I, she's like the greatest journalist in the world or anything. But Taylor writes, a, you know, articles about pop culture and Reddit. And I've read through some of it. And I've even DM'd with her saying like, hey, here's a heads up on certain things. And she takes into consideration in good faith. And I respect her for it. Doesn't mean she's perfect. And it means she'll probably fall into some pit traps that everybody falls into and not everybody's correct. In this instance, she claimed that Mark Andreessen said the dreaded R word. That's right, my friends, the R word. You can't say it. I honestly don't know if you can say it on, 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 on YouTube. And my understanding is that you cannot. Um, so I guess for the sake of getting as many people as possible to watch this video, as I mentioned with the WAP video, you know, You'll see, you, you, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it, right? Taylor was wrong. Someone else said the dreaded R word. And Glenn Greenwald says she lied. And instead of apologizing, she just locked her account down. I think Taylor should have apologized. I think she should have issued a correction and said I was wrong. I was mistaken. It was someone else. My understanding is she didn't do that. She said it was clarified by someone else. And so she could have done a little bit better job. But, you know, look, there are people who dedicate their entire time at these media companies to being fake tattletales. And this new Clubhouse app is the perfect place for these journalists, as Glenn Greenwald notes. It's semi-private. That means journalists can get in there. Most people won't know what was said. 
And then they can just take things out of context and smear you to make you look bad. It's demoralizing. You know, I'm a big fan of Star Trek. And I liked, I, I, I love the next generation. Deep Space Nine is cool. Voyager is all right. But the next generation really was incredible. This idea of a future where we have replicators and we, you know, we travel the, 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 the galaxy, seeking out new life and new civilizations. It's inspiring. And then I see where we really are. And you know where we are? Just people smack talking each other online, having flame wars. War is still prevalent. The media still lies. And it seems like no matter what the good people try to do, humans just are. And that's the, that's the pessimistic, demoralizing aspect of everything that's going on. That no matter what you do, there's evil people in this world that want to destroy. They don't care about the honesty of a conversation. They don't care about the intent of a conversation. They just want you to suffer. And I wonder sometimes, you know, they say every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And I wonder if that's the case for every person that's trying to have an honest conversation in a real effort to solve these problems. There is another evil person who knows they can manipulate that that attempt and turn it into something evil for the sake of personal gain. And if that's the case, then maybe there is no path forward. There is no real way to get to that Star Trek future, except, of course, maybe better living through technology. I'm not entirely sure. Let's take a look at what Glenn Greenwald writes. And uh, he says, a new and rapidly growing journalistic beat has arisen over the last several years that can best be described as an unholy mix of junior high hall monitor tattling and Stasi-like citizen surveillance. It is half adolescent and half malevolent. Its primary objectives are control, censorship, and the destruction of reputation for fun and power. Though its epicenter is the largest corporate media outlets, it is, it is the very antithesis of journalism. He goes, he goes on to mention that he's written before. <laughs> oh, geez. CNN. He says, uh, teams of journalists at three of the most influential corporate media outlets, CNN's media reporters, he puts them in quotes, Brian Stelter and Oliver Darcy, NBC's disinformation space unit, Ben Collins and Brandon Zadrozny, uh, and the tech reporters of the New York Times, Mike Isaac, Kevin Roos, and Shira Frankel, devote the bulk of their journalism to searching for online spaces where they believe speech and conduct rules are being violated, flagging them, and then pleading that punitive action be taken, banning censorship, conduct regulation, after-school detention. These hall monitor reporters are a major factor explaining why tech monopolies, which, for reasons of self-interest and ideology, never wanted the responsibility to center, censor, now do so with abandon and seemingly arbitrary blunt force. They are shamed by the world's loudest media companies when they do not. And this is the, the, the very real and serious result of news organizations facing two problems, competition and a need to pander to an audience. The New York Times, CNN and NBC are scared that channels like mine and Substack, for instance, are going to destroy their businesses. And it's true, they are. Recently, they've been coming after podcasts on iTunes saying, iTunes, why won't you ban these people? And iTunes says, because we're not hosting them. We just list an RSS feed. It's just they're there on the net and we, sh we show you a directory. It's like ban the phone book because one of the people in it are bad. You, you, what, are you, what are you gonna do? It's a directory, but it's true. Kevin Roos, uh, as mentioned here, and Mike Isaac, I don't know anything about Shira Frankel for the most part, but I can tell you that 
They've played fast and loose at the very least. I'll tell you something really interesting about this. When I worked at Fusion, I noticed an article written by Mike Isaac, and uh, I could be wrong about this. It's been a long time, but I believe, to the best of my ability, it was Mike Isaac. And if, and if I, I'm wrong, I will absolutely correct. But uh, Mike Isaac wrote a story. It was a news story. And it was only a few, uh, a few short words. It was about Reddit CEO. Overnight, the article changed to an op-ed about feminism in Silicon Valley. That is a major violation of journalistic ethics. But apparently, as Kevin Roos noted to me, because he worked at Fusion, it was normal for these companies to alter their articles overnight, over 80% of the article, turning fact-based stories into opinion pieces, unbeknownst to those who may have been sharing the story. You see how that's a, a Trojan horse. Someone says, dog does backflip. And I say, that's an interesting story. And I share it. And everybody shares it. And then as soon as everybody shares it, you change it to dogs are evil because they do backflips. Now you've got a whole bunch of people who inadvertently pushed a political opinion they may not have agreed with. Well, Kevin Roos was the one who said to me not to cover the story because they did it too. Surprise, surprise. He now worked the New York Times and it appears in a similar fashion to Mike Isaac. Well, that's no surprise to me. Oliver Darcy and Brian Stelter, of course, put out fake news all day, every day, often lying or just flat out being wrong while trying to get other people banned. Glenn points out, The NSA is obsessed with ensuring there will be no place on Earth where humans can communicate free of their spying eyes and ears. These journalistic hall monitors cannot abide by the idea that there can be any place on the planet where people are free to speak in ways they do not approve. Like some creepy informant for a state security apparatus, they spend their days trolling the depths of chat rooms and 4chan bulletin boards and several threads and private communications apps to find anyone, influential or obscure, who is saying something they believe should be forbidden and then use the corporate the corporate megaphones they did not build and could not have built, but have been handed in order to silence and destroy anyone who dissents from the orthodoxies of their corporate managers or challenges their information hegemony. Oliver Darcy has built his CNN career by sitting around with Brian Stelter, petulantly pointing out to appointing to people, breaking the rules on social media and demanding tech executives make the rule breakers disappear. The little crew, crew of tattletale millennials assembled by NBC who refer who refer to their twerpy work as a self-glorifying title of working in the disinformation space as intrepid and hazardous as exposing corruption by repressive regimes or reporting from any war zones spend their dreary days scrolling through 4chan boards to expose the offensive memes and bad words used by transgressive adolescents they then pat themselves on the back for uh, confronting dangerous power centers even when it is nothing more trivial and bullying than doxing the identities of powerless obscure citizens. And CNN's done it. They doxed some like warehouse worker. And there was even the instance where CNN said that they they had the information on a meme maker. And if he agreed not to insult them again, they wouldn't release his private information. They're creepy people, man. Look, I, I see more and more stories like this. I see more and more tweets. I saw earlier People are tweeting about Jen Psaki, the uh, White House press secretary, and her appearance. And I'm just looking at all of this like, is this what people really want? I am so sick to my stomach of this. Why? Conservatives. Now they're now now the Trump's many Trump supporters, again, not every single one of them, and many leftists who, who, who engage in similar behavior. They would insult and berate Kayleigh McEnany for stupid garbage nonsense. And now we're seeing much of the same thing with Jen Psaki. And I know, I know people are going to say, they're going to be like, surprise, surprise. The tribes do the same thing. I know. Where's the principle? 
Where's those who are dedicated to actually some kind of actual meaning, meaningful existence? Social media was supposed to be this great tool that was going to save us. Instead, it's turned into this really awful place where awful people say awful things. And that's all it's become. Negativity. I saw a post, you know, shout out to uh, YouTube channel Amanda the Jedi. Totally cultural content. Nothing to do with politics. Movie reviews. And uh, great channel, by the way. She put up a post, and I don't necessarily know what her intent was, and this may be the intent, but it, uh, it was a list of her top performing videos, and there were two videos in question. One of them was the worst videos of you know that she's watched, and one of them was the best videos that she's watched. And sure enough, the worst videos greatly outranked the best videos. To put it simply, she made two videos, probably not as some kind of experiment, like just literally made videos she thought would be relevant. And one was titled the, the best videos and one was the worst videos. More people want to watch the worst videos than they do the best videos. Now, why is that? What, what about the Internet is resulting in people just turning into these freaky hate filled people? Again, uh, I want to clarify, like Amanda's channel is fantastic. It's just, you know, you watch videos about her opinions on movies, games, and culture, and it's very relaxing, to say the least. And, you know, I think it's funny that I'm saying that because I used to be the guy that was screaming, people wasted too much time on pop culture. Now I'm like, that's the kind of channel you got to subscribe to. You know, shout out. Uh, just where you can watch reviews of movies, I guess. And, and a lot of people do. A lot of people watch video games. A lot of people watch movies. But we have something happening because of Twitter where the most serious of our information, which is supposed to be talking about conflict in Yemen and the troops in Syria— and the, and the censorship that's going to be affecting our, our lives. It's breeding into the, excuse me, the suppression and repression of individuals. It's leading to people who dedicate their lives to just trying to destroy because they hate so much. And it sucks. I think this, these, these individuals who work for these companies should be allowed to say what they want to say. I just disagree with them. Of course, the problem is then I give them the leeway to go and claim that I should be banned or lie about me, and then they actually negatively impact my channel. Why? To put it simply, as I mentioned in my earlier segment about the Super Bowl, when Fiverr, for instance, comes out and mocks Trump supporters, Trump supporters will complain, but many of them will still use the, surf the, 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 the service because the left screams, because leftists scream, because they have gotten jobs in mainstream media, and because they scream, brands follow suit. And because many of these brands are these, you know, young people, and because they are in New York City, and they all live in similar places, you end up with a lot of the same ideas rippling across news media and uh, digital marketing. Conservatives have money. They spend a lot of money. That's 75 million people. But they're not organized. They're going to keep spending money. They do not organize. Look, when the left says don't shop here, and then people stop shopping there. It has an impact. But what happens when the right doesn't do it and there's no impact? Then all you're telling these big brands is, look, if the New York Times says it, we have to do it. YouTube bans a lot of people and it's the biggest mistake they could make. YouTube puts CNN on the front page. Why? I can't wait for this to be over. I can't wait for it. You know what it is? I blame Gen Xers and I blame baby boomers who work in marketing. And what happens is CNN runs a fake story. NBC runs a fake story. And then these, these, these media buyers who are just dumb, 
They go, oh, no, I don't want to advertise on YouTube now. And then YouTube says, well, there's no point in talking to the advertisers. CNN said a naughty word. Who cares? Their ratings are in the gutter. Don't get me wrong. Their ratings were doing well. But since Trump left, their ratings are collapsing. They were collapsing before. Now Jeff Zucker is leaving. Stop listening to these people. But I'll tell you this, so long as conservatives, moderates, you know, people in this space keep giving money to companies that bend the knee to these psychopaths, it will just keep happening. So stop. Buy something else. Do something else. Let me just say the point of all this. A guy got arrested in the UK. Okay. And I saw that. And I'm just like, what else is new, man? It's kind of, I'm not trying to be too pessimistic. But remember that story from years ago, the lady who, who insulted a trans person and then got arrested for it? It happened twice. Now a guy mocked a, a, a veteran and he's, he's, he's going, he got arrested. He might go to jail. You have these journalists in the United States. We're not going to get arrested for it, but they will lie, cheat and steal to destroy you. That's what they do because they are evil. This video is going to be over 20 minutes long. And what they'll do is they'll take 30 seconds from it. They'll mash words together and then desperately try to make money doing it. You have to ask yourself about the YouTube channels you watch. Are you watching a YouTube channel that targets the individual or targets the idea? Are you watching YouTube channels where someone says so-and-so is a, is a moron? Or you're watching the YouTube videos where they say this thing our society is doing are problems. There's a balance, I suppose. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm perfect. I wouldn't be that presumptuous, egotistical, or stupid. I probably have a ton of videos where I call out individuals. Absolutely. Uh, I have tons of videos calling out AOC. The issue with AOC, in my opinion, was when, when AOC first came out and lied, I said, I'm not covering her, her story. She's allowed to feel the way she wants to feel. And I don't care about the drama. Then it turned out she was lying to people, and then I got mad. That's a manipulation. My issue is, are you looking at people who will... Go after culture war tribal targets, or are they talking about top level political individuals and 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 and, uh, and systems and uh, commenting on ideas and, and the structure of it all? I'm not going to pretend like you should ignore people. You know, I said before, maybe I was a little bit wrong to say we should outright ignore AOC because when she lies, she rallies people to believe bad things. And there are many people who say the similar similar things about me. That is fine. You know what I mean? When I refer to the grifters who pull things out of context, I'm not referring about somebody who has a legitimate criticism of me or anybody else. I'm talking about those that would purposefully misframe a conversation in an effort to just make money on Patreon or PayPal. And that's what's being built. These people work for these companies, The New York Times, etc., there is money to be made in being tattletales. I'm sick of it. He goes on a rag. Uh, you know, Glenn Greenwald calls out Taylor Lorenz. And I think she should have issued a, issued a correction. Correction. She, you know, try and block me now, P. Marka. And then she, this is, it's, it's crazy that she would do this, you know. Look, I'll criticize Taylor Lorenz, but I want to make sure I'm doing it uh, in, 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 in a way where I'm trying not to make everyone mad. So uh, there have been instances in the past where I've actually defended Taylor Lorenz from people who are mad at her. And in this instance, I believe she does deserve criticism. And that's about it. If we can't have honest conversations and if we can't offer up olive branches and we always just go for the throat, it's, it's just becoming, you know, I I intolerable. What do we want to get out of this? Should I sit here every day and say that same thing that happened four years ago, it happens again. Nothing's changed. Don't you already know what happens? I suppose it's important to know that this one specific thing happened. A guy got arrested. People are lying on the internet. But it's just the same story over and over again. 
some people have messaged me saying, Tim, you have to tell these stories because we need to know they're happening. And I'm like, I, I agree. No, no, don't get me wrong. That's why I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it. But at a certain point, I think people are just addicted to being bad people. You know, I think the problem is Twitter as a whole. I think Jack Dorsey and Vijay got I know this. And I think they don't care. They could snap their fingers and stop it. Simple things like getting rid of the retweet counter so people don't see how many retweets something has. Getting rid of the comment counter or getting rid of follower counts. But they like the negative whirlwind they've created. It makes them money and they won't back away from it. Whatever, man. I don't I don't know. You know, I don't I don't. I do know that one of our goals is going to be building culture. We're going to be talking about space technology and more interesting things and try and make sure we're, we're, we're pushing back on this kind of stuff because we have to, but also focusing on different things that might be more interesting, inspiring. My next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at youtube.com slash Timcast. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then.